0: Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, for one, welcome. But what you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but also do it concisely. Now, today, we're not really going to be so concise, and I feel good about that because I have a good friend of mine on Jordan Birdsong, Who works in a primarily neurological population. And we've had a lot of discussions on because I treat primarily orthopedics, what happens to these patients that are kind of in between the two, between a neuro setting and an ortho setting. And a lot of times these patients get kind of lost in the gap between because maybe in an ortho setting, where they go, it's not an appropriate facility for them, or maybe that therapist doesn't feel confident in treating that patient's deficits or maybe in a neurological setting, they are backlogged. They don't have enough space and that patient has primarily orthopedic injury but has neurological deficits from a previous injury or a previous condition. And so me and Jordan are here to help bridge that gap on talking about how to treat patients who have some sort of neurological deficit in an orthopedic population. You're in for a treat. We're going to talk about things like nerve healing timeframes, how to load our patients, what heart rate to go for, how to kind of aim for the optimal neural recovery, or maybe aim for more compensation and utilizing tools like AFOs or things like that. As well as, you know, managing spasticity, all that good stuff. So take a listen and you're going to learn so much today. Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host, and I am sitting here with the one and only Jordan Birdsong. Um, so Jordan and I went to PT school together and she went the neuro route. I went the ortho route. Um, we're still great friends, uh, but she went on. When I was in my ortho residency, she went on to do a neuro residency, ended up getting her NCS, her neurologic clinical specialty, and then is now working with a spinal cord injury population and also acts as a mentor in a neurological residency for physical therapy. So... Um, also, the best freestyle rapper that I know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should meet more <laughs> people.
1: That's what I plan to be known for. <laughs> oh. But no, I'm happy um, to join the ortho world. Casey and I have gotten to collaborate with neuro-ortho things throughout residency. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also serve on our neuromuscular and specialty rehab team. So occasionally I see some... Um, ortho things or combo neuro ortho um so and then advocacy wise yes I love advocating for our profession it's been harder during COVID but I think um yes. it's important and it affects all um those interested in ortho especially for direct access and all that so happy to help
0: out with that yes well thank you from the rest of us <laughs> um. But essentially, we mainly wanted to use this episode Mm -hmm. on just answering a lot of questions that I know a lot of my ortho colleagues have about treating patients who have neurological deficits Mm -hmm. in an ortho setting. Yeah. Because a lot of times these patients come in and they're like, oh, what do we do with Mm -hmm. them? Are they, should they even be here? And they'll probably have orthopedic issues, but we just don't always know Mm -hmm. or feel comfortable treating patients who have spasticity or spinal cord injuries Mm -hmm. or things like that Mm -hmm. so yeah super excited (laughs) yeah let's dive in (laughs) of course okay perfect um and so we got to kind of pull the audience on instagram and um let's start with just like first how do they even end up in an ortho setting Mm -hmm. so what are some things and like i know it'll differ like clinic to clinic but what are some Mm -hmm. things that you might see as discharge criteria from like an inpatient rehab or a neuro, neuro facility that causes them to go to an ortho setting. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think there's, at least for me personally, and just so everyone here knows, I work in inpatient rehab primarily, but through residency have been in outpatient and acute care. Um, so I've seen it from a couple different sides. But there's two different routes I see patients often take, at Mm -hmm. least when I discharge them. So the first one, which is a little bit easier to understand how they end up there, is the patient that's discharging to potentially a small town or Mm -hmm. a more rural area where there's not so many people as comfortable with a neurologic specialty. There's more generalists or tending to lean more ortho. Um, So in that case... Patients have limited options, um, and we cannot ask everyone to move to a big city (laughs) with a big neurologic center. Um, So, and we're lucky that we have great PT colleagues that are still Mm -hmm. really great at strengthening um, and really evidence-based and can try and tackle those challenges, even if they are overwhelming. So we send those patients there knowing that something, right, is better than nothing. Right. Uh, And with a lot of our patients, I'm sure you see this in ortho, it's the same... With neuro, I mean, even just moving and doing something is often better than going home with nothing, Um, which is usually my mindset with that. Uh, And I'm always happy to walk alongside those clinicians and help them out for what they need. Obviously not going to send somebody to them that they're not equipped to (laughs) handle or at least find some benefit there. Fair. So then the other route, which is more similar to what Casey and I handle on a daily basis being from a big system, how do we decide whether they're going to go to our neurologic outpatient or our ortho outpatient? And that, I think, depends, one, on diagnosis and on the patient. So I think about it, is this person primarily coming to me for an orthopedic issue, problem, injury that might be exacerbated by their neurologic condition Or are they coming to me primarily for deficits related to their neurologic condition? Mm -hmm. For example, I work in spinal cord injury, right? We know long-term wheelchair users. They're going to have a higher risk of rotator cuff tears, Mm -hmm. right? If my patient comes to me and they have a partial tear, they're having shoulder pain, they're having neck pain from loading their wheelchair into their car. Yes, I know what the initial cause is, but I don't always think I am the best person to mm-hmm. rehab that or to rehab them after a rotator cuff mm-hmm. surgery. So that's when I might send them to an orthopedic specialist, knowing that it's going to be different for y'all and having right. to adjust to somebody coming in in a manual or power wheelchair for a rotator cuff mm-hmm. um, injury. Same with a lot of a lot of our chronic wheelchair users will have um, – low back pain, mid back pain. Mm -hmm. And if it's something that we just don't feel that we are addressing appropriately. Yeah. um, And maybe they have the innervation that, and the strength that an orthopedic specialist would be better served to address their pain. And Mm -hmm. I've had quite a few patients um, that have gone that route and had really good success. um, Once their therapist kind of understood their needs and how to adapt their Mm -hmm. program um, to what they were able to do. So there's that, right? They have a, pretty pure orthopedic injury or issue with Mm -hmm. an underlying neurologic condition. I also get a lot of polytrauma patients. Mm. And so, right, if it's like a lot of broken bones and ligaments, (laughs) when they first come in your clinic, I know y'all are all going to be really nervous (laughs) and all that. And maybe they have like, I shouldn't say like a touch of a peripheral nerve injury or a touch of something like that. But the main issue, right, is like, the broken bones and ligaments, Right. then I'm going to send them to an orthopedic specialist because I know in six to 12 weeks when all those precautions are off, you're going to be better equipped. You're going to know the protocols. You're going to know how to rehab an ACL Mm -hmm. and MCL, whatever, better than, um, my neuro neurologic outpatient colleagues. Mm -hmm. Um, and if that's what they mainly need, then I send them there knowing that it's hard to transfer. I mean, you know, even in a we work for the same system, yeah, right? It's hard to transfer a patient to be like you're going to go here for eight weeks, and then you're going to go to the ortho. People. Skip over to the other
0: side of the world,
1: yeah. Uh, and then I think the last thing, right, is your more high level um, neurologic mm-hmm. patients. Maybe your patients with like Parkinson's or MS um, that aren't quite having such the um, severe functional deficits that mm-hmm. might warrant driving further to go to like a and maybe like a neurologic specialty clinic isn't near them and so those patients my thought process is right they need to if it's a strength problem they need to be loaded Mm -hmm. um and or y'all are experts at that that's what we Mm -hmm. all should be experts at and can help with that if they're like have balance deficits but they're Mild, right? They're not going to be falling down in the clinic when you send <laughs> them off to not. do an exercise. Right. Then that might be appropriate. Now, if you're having to like one on one prevent a knee from buckling or those kinds of things, that's more when I would send them to a more mm-hmm. neurologic specialty yeah. clinic. But those are my general thoughts, and it's all nuanced and gray, which we <laughs> all course. hate to hear. It <laughs> Everyone's favorite. <answer. laughs> but I think it's really nice to have a, um, friend who's in orthopedics or in a different setting than you because I know we do that all the time (laughs) that I'm like Casey could you handle this if I sent it to you and I try and like at least I do and I'm sure most therapists do I try and like prepare patients like this is going to be different even like coming out of inpatient I'm Mm -hmm. always single booked with patients I try and say like you are expected to be able to independently like go through exercises like mm-hmm. they aren't there to like do these sit to stand for you <laughs>
0: um
1: you're supposed to and it's the same with neurologic like outpatient yeah. pt like you need to do stuff at home there has to be some carryover there has right. to be a little more ownership over your rehab um, and if it's not somebody cognitively physically that can do that for themselves then they'd be more better served in a more specialty clinic right yeah
0: opinion. so my question to that is mm-hmm. that is like Okay, patients coming from the neuro mm-hmm. world to ortho. Do mm-hmm. you guys get a lot of people that come from the ortho to neuro world
1: uh, for the same Yeah, I mean, probably not as much because um, I, I feel like it's more common for patients to like be recently diagnosed with MS or yeah. Parkinson's and they just go to physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Polytrauma perspective from an inpatient rehab, yeah, we get right. quite a few of like, you didn't just break one bone, you broke all your bones, mm-hmm. um, not all your bones, but you broke like <laughs> your tibia, your fibula, your, your femur. <laughs> and then you're trying to figure out like a previously active, yeah. like, um, young adult is like, now I like cannot wait to bear on anything. Right. How am I going to go home and be successful in this, um, in the interim? And then we do, right. There's always, Nothing's ever, like, cut and dry easy, mm-hmm. especially when you're dealing with traumatic injuries. So oftentimes, somebody might have a spinal cord injury or brain injury from, say, a motor vehicle accident. Right. And then we also find out, right, they broke a bone or they have an ACL injury from the way they were mm-hmm. hit um, or they have they have torn ligaments in their ankles. Um, so that happens um oftentimes i feel that like comes later mm-hmm. like you're trying to figure out how <laughs> what is unless the it's, biggest like, problem here <laughs> yeah right are like most people are focused on the spinal cord injury and depending on sensation they might not even realize they injured something until you're yeah. either returning to walking or something like that later on
0: mm-hmm. and you
1: realize um that is an issue i mean occasionally an outpatient we had the <laughs> random person with like a hip replacement <laughs> like come in <laughs> uh, but traditionally it's somebody with like a history of a stroke that gets a hip replacement and then okay. I do think like in mm-hmm. the neuro setting um, if their cognitive deficits are affecting their recovery that much then maybe yeah. a specialist that knows how to interact and um, communicate
0: right more effective. yeah and and that's why I asked too because mm-hmm. sometimes you'll hear of or coworkers will come over and be like, oh my gosh, listen to this eval that just happened. They have this, this, and this, and I don't even know how to go about this. And then be like, I'm gonna send them to the neuro place. Mm-hmm. And but then you hear about like there being huge waiting lists because it is one on one. So like that's mm-hmm. something to consider, but like there's sometimes a dissonance between what someone is comfortable with and what they are actually able mm-hmm. to treat. Like they, we learn the stuff in PT school yeah. and we have the information to at least be safe, but effective hopefully. Yeah. But where is the line between being the best person to help that person mm-hmm. and also taking responsibility to step up to that situation where yeah. that patient is being seen and they're not just shunted and lost in our medical yeah. system.
1: Yeah. Which I think, I think that's on all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Like I might not feel the most comfortable with, um, rotator cuff repair or,
0: uh, <laughs> I keep going back to that because I'm like, Oh, those protocols.
1: Um, <laughs> Or like even hip replacements, like acutely, mm-hmm. I can do a hip replacement but like long term. I'm like, well, what do we do with you now? <laughs> like I got you walking. That's when you usually leave me. Um, and same with like your outpatient neurologic people, like, mm-hmm. right. But we like know if like somebody's like history of a stroke or a TBI is affecting their rehab, but they also have that ortho thing. Well, if we're the best way to like interact and get them to participate in therapy Mm -hmm. then like we need to be okay getting a little uncomfortable and out of our comfort zone and doing the work to look into how to provide the best possible care for them Um, and I think that's like vice versa right if a if a patient is appropriate for your setting it's going to not an unsafe place for them (laughs) right right? they can walk independently maybe they have some balance deficits or they use an assistive device then like in this is going to be the most convenient like appropriate spot for them Mm -hmm. to have therapy even if you're not comfortable with it right we need Mm to work to figure out how to become comfortable and how to become more confident with those things Um, but like I said right if something is like truly unsafe for a patient or is like (laughs) out of your like scope completely, like right. always refer out yeah. um, <laughs> like an incomplete yeah. spinal cord, with an incomplete spinal cord injury. It's be like, goal to return to uh, walking.
0: Like maybe <laughs> <what>? somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <that sounds> good. <laughs> so in summary, essentially understanding what the root of the problem is. Mm-hmm. And if that problem is something that you're equipped to treat or not. Yeah. Um, and then also understanding that if you are equipped to treat it, it may not be something that's the freshest in your mind, but you should feel like you've had the yeah. information you need to help them get better. And if you don't, refer out, but make sure that you are safe and effective foremost. Yes.
1: Yeah. Cool. And I think don't be don't be scared just because there's like a neurodiagnosis there, right. especially if they're coming in for like, an orthopedic related pain Mm -hmm. like you can handle that you just have to adapt what your like usual way of doing things and i think (laughs) patients are really um willing to help if you're willing to meet them where they're at they're willing to they know their bodies they're willing to help tell you what they can and cannot do
0: i was gonna say treating a large spine population a lot of times these patients know exactly what's going on they're like oh yeah Yeah. this is like this is my body this is what it does Mm -hmm. like i just do this you don't have to worry about it i have this Medication to manage it, or I do yeah. these exercises. But can you like look at my shoulder mm-hmm. <laughs> for, that, yeah. for that rotator cuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> all
1: those other things, impingement, yeah. those types of that things stuff. that all happen too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, which brings us to I mean, speaking of spinal cord injuries, because mm-hmm. um, that's something where, you know, in PT, yes, we're great at loading things, we're great mm-hmm. at muscles. But sometimes just thinking of like the neuromuscular unit, we don't always Mm -hmm. feel confident on how to load someone if Mm -hmm. the neurological aspect is compromised. Mm -hmm. So like for um, let's say like a spinal cord injury or some sort of central cause of Mm -hmm. denervation, how can we safely load them, you know, like frequency, all that kind of Mm -hmm. all those parameters Mm -hmm. and feel good about what we're doing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think in general, like thinking about loading is really important mm-hmm. um, in the neurologic population, particularly. I read a study um, a couple months ago that was talking about doing like hundreds of reps of like <laughs> single like exercises that were like not really loaded, mm. and just proving that the intensity of your exercise matters, right? Mm -hmm. So um, just doing an exercise for the sake of the exercise in this population isn't what's going to get them better, Mm -hmm. get them um, stronger. Um, And then remembering, right, the things that are innervated that have nurse signals coming to them, Mm -hmm. we can strengthen those. Um, So you would load those similarly to how you would um, many other people, right? Like Mm -hmm. glute weakness, we're doing squats and deadlifts. Mm-hmm. Um, find a safe spot. I'm thinking like Saturday, <laughs> I had a guy doing deadlifts like with his hand on a walker. And like, right, maybe we were right. using a five pound dumbbell, but right. like also his the, like his five rep max was a five pound dumbbell. There you so, go. Load them up. Um, loading, I think, can look different in the neurologic mm-hmm. population, right? Your one rep max might be one squat yeah. um, or it might be just standing up to their walker. Uh, so... Changing your framework for loading, and then um, I like what you said about like how can we safely load people. Mm-hmm. And so I think in y'all setting, it's really helpful to think about like how are you going to set up a safe space. I love a good wall and a chair.
0: <laughs> <laughs> love me that wall chair because there's so little space that you could fall into. <laughs> um, yes.
1: So, right, if you're your worried about your patient doing um, RDLs or mm-hmm. squats, and you're worried about them falling, buckling, all that kind of stuff, like, make a safe spot, <laughs> like a little padded area. <laughs> <laughs> but Use a chair and a wall. Give them the opportunity to hold on to things without over-relying on those mm-hmm. um, so they can reach those um reach those proper loads. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm loading intensity wise. It's this similar to, um, what we know, right. Um, Mm -hmm. cardiovascularly, we're trying to be at 70% of our heart rate reserve. We want to be at a moderate to high intensity for most things, as long Mm -hmm. as right. It's safe um, given all our other underlying conditions. I also, I really love, I don't know how many people y'all have with limited hand function, but I think kettlebells are fabulous for limited hand mm. function because you can hook onto things versus dumbbells you have to grip onto things.
0: That's true. Um, yeah. We weighted
1: vests, those yeah. types of things, where you can, like, load people without them having to, like, physically manage the load. uh, Yeah, that makes sense. Or, like, for your, like, older people that are, like, using their walker, like, put put some weight other places. (laughs) I only have two hands. (laughs) Um, I've seen people, like, pushing, like, rollators, like, loaded up with, like, plates of weight. All right, no need for sled. So getting creative. But there are those times, right, where you need to, like, put some standing, squatting, all that isn't going to be a Mm -hmm. safe option for them, and you don't have the physical – capability right if you Mm -hmm. need two people to safely stand a person probably refer them out like we said earlier right um but just making sure even when you're doing like your mat level exercises that Mm -hmm. you're targeting where they're weak and what's most important and that you're Mm -hmm. loading that up so that was a long tangent on loading (laughs) uh in terms of like uh i think the other side of that right is like how do we promote recovery Mm because right that's kind of strengthening the muscles that are innervated or that you're getting signals to yes then there's the other side like what if i'm not getting signals to any of those muscles right um so we haven't found right peripheral nerve injuries you got to wait for growth and all Mm -hmm. that to happen we haven't found a cure for spinal cord injuries we have things that we like are hopefully in the research promoting recovery yeah um same with brain injury and Mm -hmm. um stroke but we do know, I think a big thing is intensity and cardiovascular exercise, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of our ortho counterparts yeah. are really experts at. Mm-hmm. Um, they have found that the higher intensity, right, over 70% of heart rate reserve, cardiovascular exercise is, is promoting that BDNF, that growth factor in your brain. Mm-hmm. And it's promoting, there's been some studies that I saw that it's promoting um, growth of your peripheral nerve injuries. Um, so if we can yeah. promote that moderate to high intensity exercise right within three to four days a week, aiming for 150 minutes a week. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can help promote those things that aren't there and get them yeah. back. And with the added bonus or side effect of right, we're reducing the risk of cardiovascular disease and <laughs> also all those other things that like the whole population wow. <laughs> and especially the neurologic population is at higher risk for, yeah. um, So not being afraid to work those in. uh, I wish I had a cure all
0: of so your
1: peroneal nerve is injured do
0: Do these five exercises and it'll fix your peroneal nerve injury yeah
1: it frustrates me all the time that i can't make (laughs) nerves grow faster (laughs) and heal themselves faster timelines yes um i think that's helpful for central nervous system injuries most of the research says like between one to two years is when you're going to have your max recovery Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when we say. You're going to have your max neuroplasticity and all that. That's not to say that there aren't some studies that show that five, 10 years post, if you mm-hmm. in, implement an, uh, in high intensity exercise program, especially if they didn't have that initially that we don't see gains. Yeah. Um, similar to if you and I you went know, to the <laughs> high intensity exercise program after not exercising for a while, Yeah, be a little things rough. will probably <laughs> be rough, but they'll probably improve, right? True. You're going to get stronger. True. Um, So, uh, keeping that in mind. But if you are getting out of that year to two year window, maybe Mm -hmm. looking more into like some compensatory techniques. Yeah. um, Especially when you're getting in the realm of like balance and that kind of stuff. Maybe we need to look more towards Mm -hmm. compensation than to bringing
0: those like systems on board. True. Yeah. And I think that's something that um, we don't always educate our patients on. Mm -hmm. I have so many patients that. Um, you know, maybe they had a laminectomy or a fusion mm-hmm. um, due to myotomal weakness, mm-hmm. and then they have the surgery, and like, this was supposed to be the magic fix. Mm-hmm. Why can I still not like? Why do I still have drop it?
1: Yeah, and I'm like,
0: well, let me tell you about those nerves. Like, yep. we do. Mm-hmm we can do so much better educating our patients on how long is that going to take? Cause that is like, can you imagine just like not being able to lift up your foot?
1: Yeah. No.
0: Like that's frustrating. frustrating.
1: And then you got the surgery that you thought we're going to fix it. Yeah. And I was trying to tell people like, remember how long it took us to get here. Like how Mm -hmm. long you've not been able to lift up your foot. Like that's how long, like all these inflammation and damage and processes have been on your nerves. Like, so it's going to be, that long if not (laughs) twice as long for us to figure out how much is going to heal and how much is going to come back and unfortunately there's no um cure-all but i think education is really helpful because right we see those Mm -hmm. patients as well yeah um that they thought it was going to be all fixed and it's not all fixed uh and educating people like Com- compensatory techniques, while they're not like our mm-hmm. first line of defense, like they can
0: give people like a safe um, and effective way to yeah. go back to the things they love. So, what would you define as a compensatory technique?
1: Yeah. So, well, so say for like weakness, like I would mm-hmm. define an AFO or braces as more of a compensatory thing, right? Um, right. Using walkers, canes, that kind of stuff is. In general, more compensatory. Sense, so, like yeah. maybe we're talking long term assistive device use. Um, in terms of balance, right, using the systems that are there to compensate mm-hmm. for the ones that aren't there. So, say your perf- diabetic peripheral neuropathy, um, right, we're losing right. our sensation, our feeling in our feet, which is really important for our balance. Um, mm-hmm. So, maybe like upregulating our visual and vestibular system mm-hmm. and um, training those really well. Um, or right. If our ankles are really weak, maybe we teach patients to rely more on their hip like strategies (laughs) and trunk strategies for Mm -hmm. catching their balance or stepping reactions. If their ankle strategies aren't doing it for them Mm and being what they need. Um, I would always encourage everyone to try to strengthen or improve on strength, balance, all that. Right. with a recovery mindset first, but if that's not working, then um, you need to
0: do what's going to be safe for the patient and allow them to get back to what they love. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And I, I think the tricky part is in an outpatient mm-hmm. ortho setting, you're like, we have maybe eight weeks somewhere yeah. up to maybe six we're we're definitely not usually going to see them for that one to two years after mm-hmm. so then it becomes a tricky game of when do i like try and go full throttle and get as many returns as possible and then when do i work on those compensatory training patterns mm, yeah
1: yeah uh, I'm a big fan of full throttle (laughs) 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 early on. Um, but no, right. Early on in like all of these processes, like that's going to be the biggest bang for your buck, right? That's when you're going to have the most neuroplasticity. You're going to have the most potential for Mm -hmm. return. Um, so if you're seeing somebody early on, like by all means go full throttle. Um, that being said, if what, if they're there to you because their falls are causing them back pain, then like, yeah. right. If there's an imminent risk, it's unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we might need to introduce, uh, more compensatory techniques like a right. walker and a cane and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, or teaching them like, reactive balance stepping mm-hmm. strategies um, just to have those on board. So you're not having For to sure. stay up at night worried about them. Falling. Yeah. <laughs> and so that they're not having to deal with that as well. That's in general when I would, I think it gets a little different with peripheral nerve injuries, depending on how bad the injury is. Mm-hmm. Um, then I might start looking into an AFO earlier because people can walk out mm-hmm. of AFOs. And the last thing I'll say is right. Knowing your disease process, right? A stroke is something that we hope happens once. Mm -hmm. There are secondary conditions, but it's done and over. Diabetes, neuropathies related to diabetes, right? That's a long-term chronic condition, Mm -hmm. and those are going to likely continue to get worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So same with something like maybe Parkinson's, right? Mm -hmm. Early on in that disease process, you're trying to maintain and improve whatever you can but if you're hitting the middle late stages right um then you need to start introducing more compensatory so um neurodegenerative gets a little bit different but yeah i I don't imagine those are coming through y'all's doors as much
0: (laughs) it depends. It does depend maybe not Um, my sports setting but (laughs) yeah yeah yeah.
1: but knowing your disease processes is helpful like right right? is is this going to get better? Is it likely that, or is it likely that Mm -hmm. this is going to continue to decline? Then we're
0: going to change our strategy. Yeah. So essentially load them up, Mm -hmm. give them a good workout, get their Mm -hmm. heart rate up 70%, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then understand that it's going to be a long haul, Mm -hmm. but educate your patients. Yep. And then when it gets to a point where they're not safe or you, um, you don't see the returns that you were hoping for hey, how can we best maximize their function yeah. while maybe not being able to restore their own body's functions, yeah. replacing it with something else.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, and I think, I mean, and we talk about this in the physical therapy world in general, like thinking about more of episodes of care mm-hmm. versus like a one-time thing, True. Um, which we yeah. love. Oh, I love it. <laughs> in world. Um, and I kind of tell my patients a lot about it, how it could be beneficial, right? Mm-hmm. This is such a cliche, but like, right. You go to the dentist once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe for your neurologic patients, if you're not getting as many visits, they come to you once a year for mm-hmm. a tune up or to work on that next step. Um, right. and that's what I tell a lot of my patients, right. You're stuck in this like rehab world. You've made a lot of gains. We're kind of mm-hmm. plateauing. Like now you need to go live your life mm-hmm. or insurance is de- denying us. Right. Yeah, go exactly. live your life, come back in a year and like, we'll try like we'll do a tune up and like oftentimes we still see more improvements. So maybe they need to have shorter stays with you but more frequent mm-hmm. stays if you're running into insurance and authorization. Yeah,
0: no struggles. that makes sense. Cause um not that I'm an expert on insurance, but you mm-hmm. know sometimes there's certain amount of visits mm-hmm. per year, right? Oh, for sure. Um, to where especially if there's a change in status too, where you can try your best to justify it yeah, yeah. Um, as well. But you did mention AFOs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, – one of my coworkers was actually asking me about this the other day because, again, you know, we see a lot of patients that may yeah. benefit from these. But how do we go about this? I know you do this in your practice. Yes. Yes love a good orthotic you know this
1: i do i do Uh, i'm lucky to get (laughs) to teach about this um but it can be intimidating and i think it can be it's conflicting what we've learned about it all Mm -hmm. right um I feel early on in PT school, we learned a lot about how it can reduce function and it can inhibit recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, but now the research in like the latest, um, clinical practice guidelines on AFOs and functional electrical stimulation is showing that AFOs acutely and even chronically can promote neuro recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Cause they promote increased function, mm-hmm. um, and increased participation. Um, uh, So, yay, AFOs. How (laughs) do I order one? So, I am lucky that I have an orthotist that comes to my hospital once a day. Most people in the outpatient settings do not have that, and I understand that. So. There are right orthotics clinics like nationwide, and I guarantee in most major, well, definitely in every major city, even right. some of the smaller ones. Right, you're going to have an orthotist. So if you can find an orthotist, mm-hmm. right, that you trust and that you feel comfortable with, um, that's the first step. Or even just an orthotist, like they should be able mm-hmm. to do what you need to do. And then I think the second step is knowing what you what the purpose is of your brace, right? Mm-hmm. You do not necessarily have to recommend a solid ankle AFO tuned at mm-hmm. this degree with this amount of wedging with these trim lines, right? <laughs> you're like, oh my Bless. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm a control freak. I do all that. <laughs> but no, if you're, say your patient with foot drop, right? Mm-hmm. That was your example. If their primary deficit, right, is a peroneal nerve deficit where they have pure foot drop, lacking dorsiflexion, right? You're going to write your script and say an ankle foot orthosis to address foot drop (laughs) in swing phase, right? Put exactly like what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. And then that orthotist, as long as you're specific, should be able to look at the patient, what your goal is and um, fabricate that for them and know what that is. Um, Say your patient It's a little more than foot drop, right? Now they're having some medial lateral instability. Mm -hmm. You're like, "Mm, that does not, I don't want them to roll their ankle. Or maybe they have um, a lot more calf weakness and eccentric Mm. calf weakness. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're going to write your script in order of the priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Your first priority might be medial lateral, like an ankle foot orthosis to address medial lateral instability in stance phase. Lacking heel strike in and. foot clearance in swing phase, right? Lacking stance stability throughout ankle and knee in stance phase. Um, And then your orthotist should be able to help you out in where to go. Hopefully, yeah. Along the lines of solid ankle. (laughs) Um, For most people. But so I think not getting intimidated about like the jargon of everything Mm. and joints and everything. But one, locate an orthotist, right? Google's our friend. And then (laughs) two, when you're writing a script, um, putting what your goal is, Mm -hmm. like what your purpose is to help guide the orthotist. um, And that should help. Yeah. Yeah if you don't have scripts, so typically when you write a script for uh, orthotic or most medical mm-hmm. devices, you need a physician signature. Mm-hmm. Um, so m- most of your physicians should be able to write these scripts. Mm-hmm. My advice, and granted this is advice, not being in your setting yeah. would be to contact your physician, however you would and say, could you write a script right. to send to this orthotist stating we need an ankle foot orthosis for these goals mm-hmm. or, um, some of the orthotics clinics um, will give you like a script pad that you could then like write what you wanted and have your physician um, oh, nice. sign okay. that. Oh, uh, So that could also be an option.
0: Yeah. Um, Especially if you're seeing a lot of these types of patients.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And if you're seeing a lot of like right spine patients, mm-hmm. I think typically those physicians and surgeons, while it might not be the norm, they're used to seeing these things right. here and there so they can help yeah. you out. Yeah. Um, the other option would be like finding a physical medicine and rehabilitation clinic, um, mm-hmm. and sending a patient, your patient, to the gate clinic yeah. there um, for the purpose of having a AFO or a brace yeah. done up. Something. Yeah. The other thing I do want to give a plug for is. If It really is pure foot drop since it's come up a lot. Um, the latest clinical practice guideline is showing that patients um, prefer functional electrical stimulation mm-hmm. for those kinds of deficits. So, right, electrodes or neuromuscular mm-hmm. electrical stimulation right, to that nerve and muscle that is programmed to follow the gait pattern. Yeah. Um, so that might be something to look into from an insurance perspective and they can, that can actually add to strengthening that muscle and nerve as it heals over time Mm. and have a little more return. Yeah. If you're having any like stance phase deficits, you're going to need to do more, like have more support, but Mm -hmm. for those pure dorsiflexion ones, right. Yeah. Big
0: fan. And is that something that they're wearing outside of clinic, like they themselves as a personal unit? Yeah.
1: So uh, most of them come, there's obviously different kinds of brands and you could email, like, and for you, you could email the vendor and they would come and let you trial it. Um, But it's usually just a cuff around your shin that the patient learns how to set up on their own once Mm -hmm. they have the settings and they're trained on it. Um, And then it just puts on there's a little piece that goes in their shoe to know where they are in the gait cycle Mm -hmm.
0: and then it works from there nice so it's almost like their own rehab outside Mm -hmm. in the beginning of phases Mm -hmm. if if they're fresh out of surgery getting all the more input yeah yeah some russian on it or yeah
1: and it's um it's a little less bulky than your traditional orthotic and people like the That's fair. You have businessmen that can wear it under their pants and
0: nobody would know. That is true. Less questions asked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. Well, so, yeah. So, essentially, compensatory could look like teaching them things how to compensate with their own body or Mm -hmm. just compensate with things outside of their body to add stability, whether Mm -hmm. it's AFOs, whether it's walkers, like Mm -hmm. cane, that kind of stuff. So, now other than maybe like some weakness how do we manage on the other side of that tone and spasticity tone and spasticity yes, yes.
1: um that's a great question so right our main at least in the neuro world our main ways to Address tone and spasticity is usually going to be through neurolytic injections. So mm-hmm. your Botox or your phenol, mm-hmm. um, that would be um, injected into a specific muscle group if that spasticity is inhibiting um, what you're trying to accomplish or the functional gains that you're trying to get for that patient. And um, So it would denervate the muscle or break down that nerve. Mm-hmm. They're going to last three months. Okay. Um, typically, and it would be done by a physician. So you would need to find like a, I I think some neurologists do it. R P M and R physicians usually will do that. Um, and so maybe a patient's um hamstring spasticity is um inhibiting their terminal swing phase mm-hmm. or their gastroc spasticity is affecting um causing extensor thrust during stance, for example, right, then that mean, might be a time that we want to inject to not take away the muscle completely but to weaken it, um, yeah. knowing that behind all all spasticity is weakness, so right? The patient is going to get weaker mm-hmm. when you take that away. So in a lot of our patients, they're using the spasticity for stability, right? A lot of times in your population, I'm guessing you're going to have more just like small things that mm-hmm. are causing pain or um, function. So, injections are one way. Um, another, right, stretching, all those things mm-hmm. can somewhat help temporarily with your spasticity. Um, trying to strengthen underneath it or um, like strengthen the muscle mm-hmm. can also help them to overcome that spasticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, um, just because typically more orthopedic or sports physical therapists do more of this, Mm do the dry needling. Um, there's limited research on dry needling spasticity, but what's come out so far has indicated that it might Mm -hmm. be helpful. Um, so I know some of our therapists have started, um, initiating that, especially like within session, needling The muscle that is being spastic say in the gait cycle and then having that patient do really high intensity gait training after that um Mm. to kind of reinforce that that's not really like well supported
0: with good robust evidence right Mm. now but it's getting there
1: and a lot of people are looking into it Yeah.
0: yeah so the what is the premise of the idea behind that like dry needling stretching like are you trying to basically override the overactive circuits? That yeah.
1: Yeah. So nobody like quite knows, right. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of theories and hypotheses on why that might work, but mm-hmm. that's the main one for my understanding. Driving it is you are trying to distract or override those overactive reflexes, mm-hmm. right. Um, to try and get them to calm down. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing how that works but I feel like I don't know if you feel like this mm-hmm. in the ortho world but in the dry needling neuro world it's a lot
0: of like we don't really know why
1: but <laughs> yeah.
0: hopefully it works <laughs> it's, maybe we'll just stick a needle in it and see what happens yeah. which like disclaimer I am dry needling certified but um it is just a modality it's yeah. not the magic yeah. fix and we haven't
1: quite figured know. out the like (laughs)
0: biophysics chemistry
1: whatever behind it yeah
0: absolutely i think there's a time and a place but there's a lot to to be learned from that yes so
1: so, i mean so far the most effective thing we have is those neurolytic injections Mm -hmm. that physicians can do um and if you find a physician that um can do that usually they're very knowledgeable and can kind of help guide you and the patient through that process
0: yeah Okay, no, that's really helpful. Or at least, like, the biggest thing is knowing what now. Yeah. What yeah. do I do now? You yeah. see this patient, you're eval, you're like, holy cow. Yeah. What now? Yeah. Um, so now,
1: if they have, like, full body spasms, <laughs> again, maybe a criteria to figure <laughs> out. Probably going to send them your probably, way, Jordan. <laughs> probably need them. A- neurosurgeon or the neurologist. And yeah, there's, there's other more invasive techniques that hopefully won't come up in your world. Yeah. So
0: it sounds like ideally if they are in an ortho situation, again, they're independent. Mm -hmm. It's not a level of spasticity to where they require assistance to overcome their spasticity.
1: Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. So. That would be when I would think you need to get more of a neurologic specialist mm-hmm.
1: um, involved, whether on the physician side or on the physical therapist side. Yeah, okay. To assist with um, medical management. That I should have also said. Um, there are medications for spasticity, more for like a generalized spasticity, mm-hmm. not for your like more focal spasticity. Um, so if you're having more generalized spasms, baclofen, and there are some other uh, medications that our physicians will often use and uh, will collaborate okay. on to manage that. Um,
0: kind but, of just tampers down the whole system.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are some side effects, but if you're having like, we have people that have spasticity in multiple muscle
0: groups. Mm-hmm. That can help
1: versus like you're more individualized. Yeah.
0: Okay. No. Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Jordan, that's super helpful. So, and I know kind of taking a segue here into the world of spinal cord injury, because I know that's like, that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did talk a little bit about, you know, managing peripheral versus central nerve mm-hmm. things, but how do we know? like what's their prognosis? Like what if they have like pretty severe central stenosis that's causing balance deficits and maybe they had a surgery to clear that up. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they've got something that's mild from like a motor vehicle accident or things like that, what do we expect to change for like balance, weakness, gait changes, all yeah. that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. Um, so, uh, I think that's a really great question. Um, I'm having to like change my mindset because I'm used to like really severe deficits (laughs) and we're talking like what are the chances that I'm going to walk again or I'm going to walk without an assistive device or I'm going to walk independently. Um, So I would say in terms of like right spinal cord injuries, we do use the ASIA system to scale Mm -hmm. it. Um, and to help with some of that prognosis, and your patients that are already, which are most likely the ones that you're seeing with central stenosis, right? Mm-hmm. that still have um, motor function below the level of their lesion injury um, degeneration, have better prognosis in general, right? If we have something we can strengthen or they do have mm-hmm. some of their sensory systems on board, um, then we have a better prognosis. Um, and you might be able to, shed some light on central stenosis, because I mostly see people after their surgeries. <laughs> um, and I think before, right, it's more of a progressive disease, right? Mm-hmm. Disorder right. as you're stenosing, right? We're going to expect that to get worse. So mm-hmm. your prognosis isn't going to be as great. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're super deconditioned with central stenosis, right? Right. Then we're trying to, like, pick out what's deconditioning versus what is, like, from a centralized nerve in nervous system injury. And so then, like, you still have some potential. Like, I would Mm -hmm. say it's worth trying. It's worth doing your, like, core Mm -hmm. techniques to see if we can reduce the effect of that Mm -hmm. stenosis. Um, Post-surgery, that has more factors to it, right? Mm -hmm. So you're adding in, right, they've had this long-term neurologic injury, degeneration, breakdown. Mm-hmm. So we're doing that, right? That one, you're not really in charge of the healing process. <laughs> I hate to say it, but the body is. So right. That's more right. of like a time factor. Mm-hmm. So you're waiting to see what is going to come back on board while doing right. Those high intensity things to try and promote nerve, nerve growth right. um, and regeneration. But post-surgically, we have a lot of inflammation in that area. So that's really where, um, We can see as that comes down Mm -hmm. um, for those people that are having a lot of deficits after surgery, I would expect them to get more function as that swelling um, comes down and as they're um, getting more healing from that surgery. So that I would say if it's a new surgery, like keep going and Mm -hmm. see what happens. Um, But yeah, so it all depends. Pens. <laughs> I hate that. Uh, but no,
0: like I totally understand that because yeah. I mean, on RN too. Even with let's say the injury to the nerve has been removed, so mm-hmm. some sort of like long term stenosis, like
1: yeah.
0: it depends on how long was it compressing yeah. the nerve. Mm-hmm. What was the se- the severity mm-hmm. of how much it was compressing it? And then kind of like what you said, like I can't tell you how many of my patients, like my older patients who they don't even have any type of nerve injury going on and their balance is horrible so it's like well how much of it is nerve and how much is it other systems going on yeah it's so muddy sometimes Mm -hmm.
1: especially when you mix in like aging and other
0: conditions or any other comorbidities going on
1: the more trauma the worse it is yeah um but yeah no, for sure. It's all, it depends, and you kind of have to take in the whole picture mm-hmm. of the patient. Um, but definitely knowing how long this has been going on for, I think helps put it in perspective too. Because yeah. definitely people that have been having this gradual decline, mm-hmm. um, it's going to take longer, slash, they're going to have a poor prognosis um, in the long term as we're working up um and then there's those rare people right that go in for surgery and right everything else is better <laughs> but maybe we like nicked a peripheral nerve injury in the surgery yeah and so now we have a like peripheral like quadriceps weakness right profound quadriceps weakness that we yeah. didn't have before um and i've also had the people that like the surgery for central stenosis right they got it early enough um mm-hmm. and they get full function after that's that. yeah and,
0: so, yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of factors, right? Like, there's factors yeah. of the nerve itself, like what was the environment, mm-hmm. what's the time component, mm-hmm. and how well is their own body able to heal? Like, mm-hmm. what comorbidities do they have? And then also the other factors of, like, okay, maybe they had this going on, or maybe it's concurrent mm-hmm. issue going on to where, like, how are their other systems operating? Yeah. How is yeah. their muscular system? What's their bone density? Yeah. Like, quality, balance, all of those mm-hmm. things? Yeah. So... I guess the best scenario is just more of, Hey, take a step back from your patient. See the big picture. Yeah. See what you can control and try and maybe compensate for the things that you can't. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I love it. And I love how you said like step back, like even thinking about like back to our evaluation, like Mm -hmm. is what I'm seeing, does this make sense for like a central injury or is this something else? Right. Right? Yeah. Um, And stepping back, which might be uncomfortable because if you're not used to <laughs> evaluating those <laughs> things, but I think we have generalized senses of like, this yeah. does not feel like how I would expect it to feel. Right. Other things are going on. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, stepping back and maybe piecing out what those things are and then prioritizing like, what can I change? Mm-hmm. What can I, um, what can mm-hmm. I address? In yeah. This setting.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I love that. And I think, you know, it sounds like overall themes. just like, Hey, work them, get mm-hmm. some blood flow. Yeah. See what you can fix and what you can't. Get them help, you know, take into account healing time frames. But like we're PTs, we can figure that out. Yeah. But yeah. what advice would you give for someone who maybe like, because everybody's gonna have their own unique case and you're like, holy cow, this is my patient's story <laughs> and they don't have a, a Jordan that they can mm-hmm. call and be like, uh, help me. How would you advise them to find their answers?
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So I think, well, looking at your evidence is going to be really helpful. I, uh, the ANPT has some really great clinical Mm -hmm. practice guidelines. Um, just like in the orthopedic world, we have it in the neurologic world. Mm -hmm. Um, for locomotor training but also for like your afo and questions mm-hmm. those are going to be helpful um and they have like cheat sheets that you can uh, the quick the quick and so dirty so great i
0: love uh, cheat sheets. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um they're also gonna have right recommendations for outcome measures mm-hmm. so if you're getting those like um, populations that you're like oh they're not just coming in for an orthopedic issue I would like to evaluate them more mm-hmm. in a functional way regarding their diagnosis it will have those resources to help you kind of conceptualize mm-hmm. where their deficits are I think especially some of those are helpful with balanced deficits yeah. to try and piece out where their deficits are and in a really like organized way that's easy to understand mm-hmm. um, and then address and a lot of those the treatment is similar to how you <laughs> tested it <laughs> that is mind-blowing I oh my I gosh know, I <laughs> know. Um, in terms of your spinal cord injury things Guyer is the name s-c-i-r-e okay um has a lot of really good resources on that mm-hmm. um in healing times all those types of things nice uh so i really like there that's where i go when i have uh, Questions. Check it out. Um, But even like reaching out to um, other clinicians in your in your practice, Mm -hmm. or in um, if you are part of a large system, the the other practices. I know I've had people like that I didn't haven't really met before that asked me question neuro questions, and I do the same for ortho questions. Do I sent your number? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm happy to help with that. But, yeah, looking at evidence as best you best you can mm-hmm. is helpful. Um, and there's some good resources to make it not as overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, in the neural world, especially when you're talking, like, I feel like peripheral nerve injury, centralized stenosis, there's, there's definitely less evidence on those things so you can join the rest of us in
0: (laughs) In our inquiries
1: yeah and trying to trying to work through it um but as long as you're loading and doing high intensity right making making people work um, with a good wall and chair Yes, it's a good <laughs> wall and a chair and a kettlebell.
0: What <laughs> <laughs> more could you ask for? <laughs> well, this has been super helpful. I them. hope it was
1: helpful. I hope there weren't too many depends. Um, I love depends. I know it's, it's Other a, people
0: don't love it, but it, the ortho world is
1: muddy. I feel like the neuro world is even it's, more gray. <laughs> yeah, it's all, but yeah. I am like so pumped to see um, clinicians of all sorts trying to help our. Yeah. patients with neurologic injuries Absolutely. and diseases. I think it's a big gap.
0: Yeah. And I think it needs to be filled. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, hopefully it inspires you to step out of your comfort zone, but not out of your safety zone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's different. And, um, you know, look into research, try and find a mentor, try and find a, fin- a friend in a different mm-hmm field. Um, you know, there's conferences out there that have multiple specialties. You can make you can network there.
1: Yeah. Um you're always welcome to DM PT snacks in case he can send yeah, you my way.
0: <laughs> that, there you go. You can DM PT snacks um on Instagram or you can email PT podcast at gmail dot com mm-hmm. and I would be happy to refer your question to Jordan so she can answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Yeah.
1: And always remembering people with neurologic diagnoses, um, they play sports, they have pain, they have injuries, and
0: there's room for you to help. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Jordan. This has been awesome. Thank you. It's been great
1: being here. My first podcast. Oh my gosh. Welcome. (laughs)
0: Welcome to the world. Um, But thank you so much, and uh, maybe we'll have a follow-up sometime. Yes, I would
1: love that. Perfect.
0: This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. And here's what you need to know about MedBridge. So MedBridge delivers over 1,580 evidence-based physical therapy C courses and over 7,000 specialized patient exercises whenever you need to use them, wherever you are, it's meant to be efficient and beneficial for your life, right? So MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading in the space. So they have everything from interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first ever HEP patient mobile app. MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses and those they serve. So for a limited time, use the promo code Podcast to get $175 off your annual subscription. Check out the link below for more.